I'd heard about prostate cancer. Most men have. I even knew about the heightened risk for black men, which, when adjusted, means that it affects one in three of us. One in three. But this was only meant to happen to old men. Other men. (laughs) That wasn't until it happened to me. I couldn't make these stories up. These are the stories, the good, the bad and the unbelievable about my prostate cancer journey. So strap yourself in and let's go. Episode 5. I really didn't see that coming. It was a few weeks later when I returned to Guy's. By then I'd spoken to Pops and I was able to tell Dr. C a little bit more about my family history. Pops was a bit vague, but he'd said back in his 40s he had permanent seed brachytherapy where small radioactive pellets about the size of a grain of rice are put into the prostate and in the short term they kill the prostate cancer and they stay there permanently. That's about as much as he could tell me. So Dr. Sia told me that the ultrasound and the MRI scan still hadn't given him enough information to make an accurate diagnosis. So what we needed to do was the biopsy. Now the biopsy is the most definitive of the tests, but it's also the most invasive. It's the only one that actually involves a local or a general anaesthetic. That was the choice I needed to make. Did I want to have the procedure done under local or general anaesthetic? For a little while, I sat there and I thought, I could have the local. What are the pros and the cons? I'm not one of these people that has ever had a problem with a general anaesthetic. I know that some people, they could be groggy for days afterwards or have some other side effect. That was never my problem. So I decided, you know, I'd have a general. Later on, I would find out exactly what the procedure involved. It was something that I hadn't given any thought to. The other tests seemed quite simple. And I'd heard about this procedure called a biopsy, but I'd never looked into it. When I looked up on that good old Doctor in the Sky Google, and I saw the needle involved in taking these samples, I sat there and I said, what must I have been smoking to actually think of having a local anesthetic while that is going on? This thing was about the thickness of two fingers, And it was about eight inches long, topped with a hidden needle. I was so glad that I decided I wasn't going to come face to face with that. And also it was quite telling that when I told Dr. C that I wanted the general anaesthetic, his words were, good choice. Men tend to move around a bit with the local. Uh, Yeah, I completely understand why they do move around a little bit. So the biopsy date soon came around and I wasn't nervous. I was just taking it in my stride. One of the things you had to do, you had to 
fast for eight hours beforehand and I was told by one of the nurses while I was getting prepared that if I'd had so much as a mint they would cancel the operation. Annette was with me at the time and she stayed up to the point of no return and off she went to work. I wanted to walk to the operating theatre but they insisted that I climb aboard this antiquated trolley and I did just that. I thought, you know what, pay my national insurance, so why not? We went two floors down into the secret innards of Guy's Hospital and what surprised me was it seemed very, very antiquated down then. You know, not these modern ERs of Grey's Anatomy or whatever other medical programme. For about the fourth time today, I confirmed my name and date of birth, just in case they thought they'd got the wrong person. And the anaesthetist, she introduced herself and then inserted a a cannula into the back of my hand and said, you'll feel a little bit of coldness in your arm. I remember lying there saying, I wonder if people can actually fight these things. I'm going to try and fight it. I woke up in the recovery room a few hours later and a nurse just said, look, as soon as you pass some pee, you're free to go. I'd been warned beforehand that my pee would be bloody for a little while. Sometimes a few days, sometimes a few weeks, but it would get clearer as time went by. I had no ill effects from the general anaesthetic. I quickly did a little pee and I was ready to go. Because I'd had the general anaesthetic, I had to wait for Annette to come because they wouldn't release me without someone to take me home. Okay, fair enough. They also said no long walks and no running for a couple of hours. Unfortunately, the station we went to, London Bridge, is nothing but a good walk. The kind of cancel your gym membership kind of walk. And at one stage, our train was at the platform and I can only say it now, I did a little bit of a run. Oops. Later that evening, I went back to the toilet and I don't think it was five seconds into peeing, I was hit by the most excruciating pain. I mean, I had to grip the sink for dear life. This pain came absolutely out of nowhere. The only way I can describe it is like razor blades were being passed out as I was peeing. I held my eyes tightly shut. I took some deep breaths. I just couldn't understand, believe what was happening. I'd almost bent over double a little bit. And finally, I I finished peeing. And I stood there for a minute or so, just trying to compose myself afterwards, wondering what the hell had happened. I'd find out weeks later that what I'd actually done was I'd passed the blood clots from the biopsy. It's something that some men go through and some don't. I remember describing it to a couple of men and they said, oh, I didn't experience that at all. But then there were one or two of them who they just said, they went through exactly the same thing. And annoyingly, I couldn't find that this particular side effect in any of the literature that I'd read. So just a warning, be prepared. It was about two weeks after 
the biopsy that I returned with Annette to see Dr. C. I had no expectation. I thought I was going to get a lecture about my diet, which was pretty, pretty rubbish. Or maybe at worst that, you know, maybe I needed some medication to clear something up. Maybe I had an enlarged prostrate. I hadn't, I didn't have any thoughts at all. This was the day after my 50th birthday. The 50th birthday that prompted the whole journey. On the day of my birthday, the kids had made me a card. They'd gotten me a few presents. can't remember what they were. There was a local fun fair. And we went out to the fun fair. We went out to the park. It was a beautiful sunny day. And it was warm. And I was just so carefree and happy. This was the 50th. I know that many people from school that I knew never made 50. I know that lots of people weren't in the best of health. And here I was in great health, great spirits. And it was just such a beautiful day. It really was. It was possibly the best birthday I could remember. I was 50. I'd made it to the big 5-0 and I was on top of the world. I sat down on the chair next to Dr. C and Annette sat in the visitor's chair next to me. I glanced over to the tub of industrial grease in the corner, reminiscing not-so-fond memories. And a, a cheery Dr. C said, hello again, how was your weekend? I sat there smiling. I had a brilliant weekend. This was the 50th. I'd reached the big 50, the halfway stage of my existence. I was planning a big party for my 50th in just a few weeks time. So this was an incredible time for me. I was so looking forward to it. I was involved in every intricate part of the planning. I was going to see people that I hadn't seen for years. And I was going to be the center of attention. Purchased my suit. I'd got my shoes, got my shirt. I was so excited. Well, as you know, we carried out a range of tests to get a better picture of what's happening with your prostrate, Dr. C said. And I sat there, nodded, smiling with my hands clasped together. Well, it's not good news, I'm afraid. Of the 21 biopsies that we took, 17 were cancerous along the length of the specimen on both sides. Doing nothing is not an option we can take. It was those last nine words that I would never forget. Doing nothing is not an option we can take. He continued to talk. I had no idea what he said. I just heard the word cancer and almost as in one of those comedy TV programs, the world just narrowed around me. I completely zoned out. He was talking. I couldn't hear what he was saying. He was trained for this. He was trained to deliver these words to any number of men all the time. I wasn't. I sat there. I couldn't even tell you what I was thinking. I had so many thoughts and no thoughts at all going through my head. It was just that one six-letter word, 
the big C that just kept resonating in my head like a ball in a box. Eventually, I don't know how much later afterwards he said, if you wait outside, one of our specialist nurses will be able to talk you through the options and answer any questions you may have. I remember walking, maybe even stumbling to the waiting area on some sort of water pilot. I sat down and continued to just try and get my head around what I'd just been told. But I just couldn't focus on anything. I couldn't focus on anything physically or mentally. I just sat. And after the first tear, I cried uncontrollably. I didn't care who saw me. I didn't care who heard me. I just sat and cried. This would be the first of only two times I would cry about this. But for once, I didn't have a plan B. What I had was cancer. What Dr. C had gone into after he told me that we can't not do anything was the detail of my diagnosis. So the PSA thresholds are age 40 to 49, it's between 0 and 2.5. Ages 50 to 59, the range is 0 to 3.5. Age 60 to 69, the range is 0 to 4.5. And at 70 plus, the range is 0 to 6.5. So my threshold was 3.5. My initial PSA reading was 8.7. And after all the tests, including the biopsy, my final figure was 11.5. The second part of the diagnosis is the Gleason score. And mine was 3 plus 4, which in layman terms means the main cancer was a grade 3 and the secondary cancer was a grade 4. So it may not have been very aggressive, but there was a lot of it. There's another category called the TMN staging, which stands for tumour, node and metastasis. So the T part is for a tumour which means it's still within the prostate. The end part is for regional lymph nodes, which means the cancer has just escaped the prostate shell and is around the lymph nodes. And the end part stands for distant metastatic, which means it's spread throughout the body. I had a tumour, so it was the T, and each one of those letters are divided into stages. So stage one, it's small and only in the prostate, and it means the doctor wouldn't be able to feel it in the digital rectal exam. Stage two, that's where the cancer is larger and may be in both lobes of the prostate, but it's still contained within it. And this would be detectable via the DRE exam. Stage three, that's where the cancer has spread beyond the prostate but it's still close by the lymph nodes or the seminal vesicles. And finally, stage four. This is where the cancer is spread to other organs such as bone and is referred to as metastatic cancer. 
If the prostate cancer has spread to the bones, you have prostate cancer in the bone, not bone cancer. They're two different things. So my TMN staging was T2. The cancer was larger and maybe in both lobes of the prostate, but it is still contained within the prostate. Finally, these three figures are put together and this puts an individual into a risk group. So a low risk is where the PSA is 10 or below, the Gleason is 6 or below, and the clinical stage is T2. Intermediate risk, that's where the PSA is between 10 and 20, the Gleason is 7, and the clinical stage is T2. And then you have the high risk group where the PSA is greater than 20, the Gleason is between 8 and 10, and the clinical stage is also T2. Now, with a PSA of 11.5, a Gleason of 7, and a clinical stage of T2, that put me into the immediate risk group. The immediate risk group is then split into two, which is the favourable risk group, where they can be watched with active surveillance, which is where your PSA is tested regularly, or the unfavourable risk, which means, as in my case, we can't not do anything about it. In the UK, the newest form of grading is called the Cambridge Prognostic Group, and that splits the grading into five groups. And according to my results, I would have been in group two. I don't know how long I cried for, but eventually I stopped, wiped my face with the back of my hand and pretended it never happened. I still couldn't tell you to this day what I was thinking, but me sitting and crying just didn't happen. Eventually, the nurse called my name and she led us to a small corner room. I would look back and think, it's almost a room of death. It was a small, dark, characterless room. No windows, just a round table, three chairs, and nothing else. No posters, just a fluorescent light in the top of the ceiling. It wasn't neutral, it was devoid of anything. And I understood what the purpose of that room was. It was functional, but devoid of any type of emotion. The nurse introduced herself and asked us to sit down. She asked me if I needed a minute. I shook my head and whispered no. She had two brown envelopes in her arm. She opened them up and put the papers on top of each envelope and then slid them across the table towards me. These are the two options that you need to choose from. One is the prostatectomy and the other is radiotherapy and hormone treatment. The radiotherapy and hormone treatment have to be taken together, not separately. Do you have any questions? The nurse asked. I shook my head. No. Please take these papers home with you and have a read of them. I've made another appointment for you in two weeks' time. Here is my card. Any questions, just give me a call. With that, she left the room. I had cancer. 
I had prostate cancer.